our series called The Culture Wars, and uh, let me just do a little bit of recap of what we've covered so far. In the first week of the series, we declared that the war is actually over, that the die has been cast, uh, that the culture is moving in a direction uh, that is godless, in a direction that is not honoring of the Lord. And um, so we then began to talk about, well, what does that mean then in these subsequent weeks? What does that mean then for the church moving forward? Um, we identified two of the competing value systems that are out there in the world today, and we identified one of those as modern feminism and another of those as male dominance or male superiority. Uh, we are very familiar through uh, human history with male dominance and male superiority. Feminism, uh, we think, is more of a modern thing, uh, but actually it's been around since Roman times, believe it or not. Um, and let's just take a look real quickly at what these ideas represent. Um, under feminism, what feminism teaches is that there is total equality between the sexes. That is, there's a blurring of gender roles, gender lines, gender distinctions, uh, to the point that the modern feminists would declare that gender is, a, is binary, that gender is a fluid construct. It's not a biological construct. It's not a social, uh, it's rather a social and a cultural construct, and therefore one can choose what gender they want to be regardless of what biology tells us. Um, and in the opposite side of that is the male dominance, male superiority, uh, which holds that there's no equality between men and women, which holds that men are superior, women are inferior, and so might makes right under that worldview. The Bible the complement is, is a complementarian view, and it sits in the middle of these two polar opposites, which are strange bedfellows uh, in culture and in politics. It's strange that, that those two come together. Um, and work alongside one another. But in any case, um, the Bible sets in the middle of those two as a complementarian view which teaches that men and women are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, God created them male and female. That is, that both are of equal worth and equal value in God's eyes. That is the clear teaching of Scripture, yet equality does not mean the same. That equality, there is equality, and yet there is a distinction between the roles of men and women. Now this week, we take the step to talk about um, her role. So last week, we talked about his role. What does the Bible talk specifically spell out as to be her or his role in society? And if you look at the front of your bulletin, BJ did not do that. And so that's why it says his role. Well, this week we're talking, I did that. That's why we're talking about, we're talking about her role this week. Uh, and our scripture comes to us from Genesis chapter 2. I just want to give you a quick idea of where we're going, though, after today, because what we've wanted to do is to teach the biblical concepts here on the complementarian view and then talk about in subsequent weeks how we preserve that for future generations. So next week's title is Your Children, Their Education, followed by a week on Your Children, their technology. And in the final week of this series, we'll talk about religious liberty and religious freedom in America and what all that looks like for the church moving forward. So you can anticipate those topics to come in future weeks. But today, we want to close out the biblical teaching of the complementarian view by looking at her role. So I'm going to ask, if you would, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 2. This is the story of creation. We've got uh, the husband, man, and woman in the garden. Um, Genesis chapter 2, I need to get a new Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the, the page fell out. Verse 18, and then we'll read verses 21 through 24. All right, here we go. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, 
And while he was sleeping, and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. All right, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, All right, let's walk through these verses together. We're going to begin at verse 18. Uh, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Adam has just been created. He's been placed in the garden and God notices something is not quite finished. He says, it's not good for this guy to be alone. So everything that follows after verse 18 is around the idea that God's going to create somebody to come alongside of Adam so that he won't be alone, he says, so that he would have this helper someone who is a helper suitable for him. Verse 19 says, Now the Lord God had, made, had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the, man, whatever the name uh, he gave each of the living creatures, that was its name. Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field, but for Adam, um, uh, no suitable helper was found. Remember, this is the point. This is the reason why God has ushered all these animals out in front of Adam. It's not just so that they can all get a name. It's so that Adam can find a helper that is suitable for him. That's the point of all these animals being ushered out in front of him. Adam looks around. He sees the dog. He really likes the dog. He thinks, hey, that's man's best friend, right? But I'm looking for something more than just companionship. I'm looking for a soulmate. I'm looking for something of the same stuff, something of the same substance as myself and so God comes up with a solution verse 21 so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man verse 23 the man Adam said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man verse 24 last verse we read it a moment ago for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Okay, so God creates Adam, places him in the garden, and he says, this is not finished. And so he ushers out all these animals in front of Adam to find this helper that would be suitable to, for him. None of, amongst all the animals, no helper that's suitable for him is found. Um, and notice that uh, then God brings Eve into the picture. And Adam's like, yes, this is exactly what I needed, this is exactly who I needed, this is the helper that is suitable for me. And what you'll notice as you continue to read through uh, Genesis and through the rest of the scriptures is that Eve was not created just to come along and help Adam with a couple of chores that he had to do. Hey, I need you to help me hoist this up, and then when we're finished, we'll go our separate ways. She was, she was brought to Adam as a lifelong helper, as a life for a lifelong partnership and relationship. God ordained, friends, that male and female relationships are to be in a lifelong relationship and that Eve was brought to Adam for the purpose of being his helper. Paul confirms this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. He says, Neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for the man, that is, to be his helper. Her role in the male-female relationship, going all the way back to pre before sin came into the world. This is not the result of sin coming into the world. This is before sin had come into the world in Genesis chapter 2. Her purpose in the male-female marriage relationship 
is to be a helper to Adam. That's what she was created for. Now, let me clarify what the Bible means by that word helper, because we may wonder, well, what do you mean by help? Because in our minds, lots of times, when we think about one person helping somebody else, we think that the person who does the helping is inferior, and that the person who receives the help is somehow the superior, right? Uh, But that's not at all what the Bible has in view. And when we look at Psalm chapter 121 and verse 1, the Bible says, from where does my help, or I lift up my eyes, from where does my help come? So David's looking for help. He says, verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So here we have God in the activity of helping. Just because God helped David doesn't make God, right, David's inferior. So let's just dismiss that right out of the gate. No, no, that's not how the Bible sees this. God is not lesser than David, and yet God helps. I help my children with their homework. That does not make me my children's inferior. Although sometimes our kids maybe want to think that that's the way the relationship should go, but that's not what we're saying here. So just because one person helps somebody else doesn't make the person who helps uh, in some sort of inferior relationship. Remember what we said, week one of the series, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, that God created uh, man in his image, and the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. Equal worth, equal value in God's eyes. Just because Eve is created as a helper for Adam, this is not to demean her or to suggest that she is less important. In fact, it's just the opposite. What we discover here in this text is that Eve is incredibly invaluable to Adam. He's incomplete without her. He's he's wandering around saying, "I I need something else. I don't know what it is that I need, God. And God says, I got the perfect solution for what it is that you need, and, it will, and she will complete you. And that's what Eve does. She's the perfect, remember, complement to Adam. Now let's drill down into that term helper and figure out what exactly does it entail? What does the Bible have in mind when it talks about Eve as Adam's helper? What sort of activities, what sort of uh, responsibilities fall on her shoulders as a helper? Titus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Titus chapter 2. We'll begin at verse 1, and Titus chapter 2 is perhaps one of the clearer or clearest statements, and and I say that with a little bit of hesitation. Um, We'll see here in just a second. Um, Clearest uh, statements in the scripture of what this role of helping looks like, um, because the Bible, as, as I've been scanning through and studying and everything, I don't see somebody say, this is what it means for a woman to be a helper. But what we see all throughout the Bible are women in the activity of helping their husbands and the activity of helping in their homes. We see that all through Scripture. And this statement that Paul makes right here in Titus chapter 2 captures the activity of women all through the pages of Scripture. Okay? So let's take a look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He says, What I'm about to tell you, the information that's going to follow, he's going to talk about how older men are supposed to act, he's going to talk about how older women are supposed to act, he's going to talk about how younger women are supposed to act, he's going to talk about how men are supposed to act, and he says, in all of this teaching, it represents what is in accord with, what is in agreement with sound teaching. This is truth. This is, you can take it to the bank stuff. This is timeless, doesn't matter what culture you live in, doesn't matter what circumstances your life is in, this is sound doctrine, what I'm about ready 
to share with you. And again, where does Paul get this from? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit has been instructing Paul to write these words because this right here is a product not of man and of his thinking, but of the Holy Spirit directing Paul as he's writing and directing the biblical authors as they're writing. And so he says, hey, look, I can stay with confidence that what I'm about ready to tell you is, represents sound doctrine, okay? Look at verse 3. He says, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Verse 4, then they can train, verse 4, the younger women, here we go, to love their husbands. That's expectation number one. If we think about what does it mean for a wife, uh, for her role to help, for Eve to help Adam, it's number one, to love her husband. Number two, to love her children. In the Greek, there's actually two separate phrases there, to love, to love her husband, to love her children. In your small groups, you'll diagnose that a little bit more um, clearly um, in the coming weeks or, or this evening, if your small group meets this evening. But um, there's two statements there, to, to love her husband, to love her children. And then verse 5, he says, to be self-controlled and pure, and then in relationship to her family, to be busy at home, uh, to be kind and to be subject to her, their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In these two verses, Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we have a statement of what it means for Eve to help Adam. Okay, And those three roles, we just identified them, to love her husband, to love her children, and to manage the household, or to be busy at home, Paul says. That is not to be disregard what's happening in the home. And so we'll, I want to just drill down into each of these, take a look at what each of these means. What does it mean to love your husband, to love your children, and to manage the household? So let's start with the first of those, to love her husband. And the Greek, it literally translates husband lover. Um, that's the, the term there. This is one of the primary roles of women. If you're a married woman, one of your primary roles, cannot shirk this one off. This is a, 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 a command from Scripture. Um, is to love your husband. If you want to be a helper to your husband, this is what you do. This is sound doctrine. And what does it look like to love your husband? It looks like, number one, according to his verses right there, being subject to your husband, it, I'll translate that in modern English, it means allowing your husband to lead. That's one of the ways that you love your husband, by allowing him to lead. Paul says it right there, to be subject to your husband. He says it in other places when he's talking about male-female marriage relationships. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Every time Paul brings up the conversation about husbands and wives, about male and female marriage relationships, and he always brings up this issue of women being subject to their husbands, that is, that women allow they're, they're are submitting to their husband's leadership. That is that they allow him to take the lead. That means, ladies, that you don't try and steal his leadership role from him, that you don't spurn against it, that you don't fight against it, that you allow him to lead. If he wants to pay the bills, if he wants to set the kid's bedtime, if he wants to lead the family in prayer, that means that you allow him to do that. It doesn't mean that you can't do those things. In fact, in many occasions, you may do those things much better than he can do those things, and so you want to bring your wisdom, you want to bring your counsel to the conversation because he's a servant leader in your home and he's going to want to invite your opinions and your thoughts into things. But at the end of the day, it's his responsibility. God's given him that, ordained by God, to lead your household and your family. Um, <clears throat> where was I? All right, 
So in refusing to take charge, in refusing to take control, a wife is reinforcing her husband's leadership role rather than robbing him of it. And in the end, ladies, this will be one of the great blessings that you can bring into your marriage is to allow your husband to lead. It's one of the most loving things that you can do in your relationship. Now, let's put all that up on our chart, okay? Because we've been walking through this chart over the last couple of weeks. Um, we've got these roles of women on the one on the on your left, right? And uh, and one of these roles is to love her husband. Look at that under the male dominance view, okay? Under the male dominance view, which is not the biblical view, to love her husband, uh, this gets skewed, and women think that this means that I have to say yes, dear, and this means that I have to say whatever you say, dear. And that under this male dominance idea of women submitting to their husband, that gets interpreted as a woman saying that, you know, I'm basically just going to be a doormat for my husband because he gets to lead and I don't get to have any input. And friends, that's not the biblical view. That's not the complementarian view. That's not you bringing your input. That's not you bringing your counsel. That's not you bringing your wisdom. That's you just being a doormat. Uh, for example, if a woman knows that her husband and her children are doing wrong and she says nothing, that's the male-dominant view being lived out in the marriage relationship. If a husband becomes abusive and the woman doesn't report it, uh, that becomes a, a male-dominant view being lived out. She never really expresses her preferences because in her mind, to be submissive means that she's a doormat. And friends, that breaks my heart. It breaks the heart of God nowhere Nowhere in this book do you find Paul or anybody else, Jesus or anybody else in this book, inviting women to be a doormat for the men, uh, for her husband. Um, remember, the Bible always promotes respect of person. It always promotes equal worth and equal value. That's the biblical complementarian middle. Now, tilt that thing to the other side, and we look at the feminist left. What you get here is an overcorrection of her passivity, an overcorrection of the doormat syndrome um, to where women are taking the lead and taking the charge and are usurping a man's role in that marriage relationship. And the wife takes charge and she's running the show and she's making all the decisions. She is what the modern feminism wants her to be, an independent, strong woman who just needs a sperm donor, right? And that's all that he is. And friends, if that's all that you've got, then you'll have a man who sits on the couch and drinks beer and goes off with his friends on the weekend and does nothing for disciplining your children, for providing for your family, for helping kids get their homework done, for getting people off to school, for all the other things that happen around the home. If that's what you want, friends, that's what modern feminism is saying will fulfill you. But again, that's not the biblical teaching. That's not the complementarian middle at all. In the complementarian middle, again, the wife offers input but she is joyfully submitted to her husband's leadership. She allows him to lead. That's one idea here of what we have in mind, what we have in view when we talk about what it means for a husband to love, uh, for a wife to love her husband. A second way that, ladies, you can love your husband is by being physically responsive. Nobody needs me to tell you this, that God has hardwired men to be physically responsive. He loves your touch. He loves your kisses. He loves your hugs. He loves your touch throughout the day as well as the times that you are more intimate. He doesn't just want your body. He wants your physical responsiveness. Think about it this way. Perhaps you go home after the preacher has just said, hey, you know what? Uh, husbands, you are to praise your wives. 
And on Monday morning, you wake up, and he's praising you. And throughout the day, you're getting text messages, of, I hope this happened, of some, some praises, right, that are happening. And he appreciates you, and he ver- verbalizes that. And you think to yourself, well, he's just saying that because the preacher preached about it on Sunday morning, right? I know that's why he's doing it. And so you think it, it kind of cheapens, right, his praise. And you think, well, he, is, he just, is he doing that because he means it? Or is he doing that just out of sense of obligation and duty? He feels like he ought to do that. Well, the same thing when we're talking about um, physical responsiveness. If our physical, if ladies, your physical responsiveness is nothing more than an obligation and a duty, then men pick up on that. And that those responses that you share with him, it kind of cheapens, and ra- rather than it being an expression of love, it cheapens uh, that, those moments. Um, so please do not downplay the importance of your physical responsiveness. Now let's go back to our chart for just a moment and take a look at what this whole physical responsiveness thing looks like within these other um, opposing views. Um, first, let's take a look at the feminist left. Women who are usurpers, who take a man's role, become unattractive to men. Think about that. Women who take on a man, what is innate, what is God-ordained, when women take on these roles, women beco- those women become unattractive to men. And the natural recourse then is the woman says, well, I don't know why he's not interested in me. I don't know why, 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 is he, why does he not ever want to uh, pay attention to me? Well, it's because you've become very masculine. It's because that woman has taken on masculine roles. Um, she has defeminized herself. And when that happens, friends, Women become unattractive to men under the feminist left. Um, Tilt the chart in the other direction, under the male dominance view with regard to sexuality. Women are viewed as objects. Women are viewed as uh, their inherent worth is dismissed. Women are viewed as objects of lust. And sex becomes solely about the man's gratification. Again, friends, this is not the biblical view of sexuality. The complementarian middle, the biblical view, holds that male and female relationships are to be monogamous, one man and one woman, until death do you part, with mutual respect of persons, with equal worth and equal value. All right, so that's role number one. And you may have questions about that. Go to a small group. And you can get all into all kinds of I know it's been great to hear from some of the folks who have been in some of these Sunday school classes, who have been in some of these evening small groups, and just the great discussion that's been uh, happening. I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm like, man, I wish I had included that in the sermon on Sunday. But in any case, it's great to hear that y'all are digging deep into these issues. All right, so that's role number one. Eve is to love her husband. The second way that she is a helper to Adam is number two, to love her children. Say, Gordon, I got this one. No problem. We're good. Just move on to the next one. Let's talk about that household. Well, just for the record, I want to go ahead and share with you what it means for a woman to love her children. Um, if I can kind of capture it in a statement, it's being there. Being there. Being there for your children. Children need tremendous, moms, you know this, children need tremendous doses of affection, tremendous doses of your emotional energy and of your time. Uh, they need your support. They, of course, need your love. Being there for your child emotionally, being there for your child to talk about his or her day, especially in the formative years, not just being there to tuck them in bed at night, but being there for them in an emotional 
sense. And when we begin to talk about this, the question always comes up, well, what about if mom has to work? What about working outside of the home? Is she still able to be there for her children? I want to ask a question in response to the question. And this is my question is, this is one of, remember, this is one of a woman's primary roles, to love her husband and to love her children. And so here's my question is, does work have you more than your children have you? Does work have you more than your children have you? Like, we're so emotionally exhausted at the end of the day that when we get home, the kids get nothing less than fumes. And so this becomes not an issue of sin, because the Bible nowhere, I want to say this, hear me clearly, the Bible nowhere says that a woman cannot work outside of the home. Cannot find that verse. Find that verse, show it to me, you cannot find that verse. It doesn't exist. And there's a reason why it doesn't exist, is because God knows that you can sufficiently be there for your children, loving them, even though you work outside of the home. If it were not the case, then God would have said women are not permitted to work outside of the home. You follow me? Right? Um, and so what that means is it's not an issue of working outside of the home. It's not an issue of sin, disobedience to the Bible or something like that, because it's not. It becomes rather an issue of priority. Of priority. Of making sure that there's enough left in the tank at the end of the day that you can love your husband and love your children. And I do want to share with you this morning that I believe that there is special grace given by the Lord our God uh, when women have to work outside the home because you know, we live in a society nowadays where a two-income family is not just the norm, it's really what's required in many cases. And so in those scenarios, I do believe that the Lord gives special grace and that kids understand why mom is at work, uh, why she has to spend time away from us. Um, and so again, um, it's not a matter of disobedience to Scripture. It becomes a matter of priorities, making sure that there's enough left in the tank at the end of the day that the kids are getting love, that you're there for them emotionally. Okay? You can throw rocks at my car on the way out of, the drive, uh, way out of church later. All right, so the third way that Eve manages her household, I'm sorry, that she's a helper for Adam, is to manage her household. Number three is to manage her household. Paul uses the words there in verse 5, he says, to be busy at home. Uh, in ancient Rome, feminism had actually taken root. In ancient Rome, women were not wanting to have children. They were not wanting to do any domestic chores or do any work around the house. They really didn't want to have anything to do with uh, the house. Women spurned any sort of those sorts of things. Uh, they wanted to do other things. And so Paul doesn't say that you can't do other things, right? The Bible doesn't say you can't do other things. But the Bible says that this is one of your primary roles. We talk about loving your husband, loving your children, and managing the household. The management of the household does not mean that the wife has to physically do all the chores, gentlemen. It means that at the end of the day, it's her responsibility to make sure that those things get done. Like God's not going to come down and have a conversation with Adam about why things are in disorder and disarray in the home. He's going to come down and have a conversation with Adam about why the family is not being provided for. That's a husband's responsibility to see to it that that happens. We talked about that last week. But again, we're talking about the home. This falls under the realm of her responsibility, her primary responsibility. Um, at the end of the day, that means that the house is in order, the family gets fed, the clothes get washed, the chores get done. This is one of her primary roles as helper. If the kids are going, make sure the kids are going to school with clothes 
uh, that are clean. I mean, if the kids are going to school with clothes that haven't been washed in a month, I mean, again, the Lord's not coming to Adam to have a conversation about that. He's coming to have a conversation with Eve about that. doesn't mean that she has to do all of the laundry, but it does mean that it's her responsibility to make sure, at the end of the day, that those things are getting done. She is to manage, right? That's management. She is to manage the household. If there's no food to eat, that's dad's problem. But if there's food that's been provided and it's just not getting prepared, that's mom's problem. Again, she doesn't have to do the cooking physically. You may be married to somebody who is a tremendous cook. Let him go. Let him have at it, right? But it's your responsibility to make sure that that food is being cooked and that the family's being fed. This represents her core role to manage the household. Now, there's all, there's, well, we all know that there's much more to running a household than just domestic chores. Managing the household also includes things like making sure the kids get their homework done, making sure the kids get their, off to school on time, making sure that the ball practice schedules get organized, keeping up with uh, new clothes for school at the start of the year, somebody's backpack's worn out, somebody needs a haircut, somebody's sick, who needs to go to the doctor, the pets need shots, right? All of this falls under the scope of managing a household. And I got to tell you, as I was thinking through all this stuff this past week, I was like, wow, I'm married to a great lady, right? I mean, and y'all are too. It's just amazing all the things that women uh, manage, that women uh, make happen in keeping the household running and keeping things in order. Um, let's summarize. Just like a man has distinct roles to protect, to provide, and to lead, we talked about those last week, a woman has some core roles as well. And again, we see women all through the pages of the Bible doing these things. They love to love her husband, to love her children, and to manage the household. Okay, that's our treatment of this topic for today. And so that leaves one more question for us. It's the most important question. What difference does all this make to my life? And you say, Gordon, I got to tell you, as you're standing up there talking and sharing all this this morning, I mean, it sounds like Superwoman that you're trying to describe. How am I supposed to live like this? How is this supposed to happen? How am I supposed to pull this off? It's not that I'm not trying, because I'm definitely trying, but I mean, how is a person, how is a woman supposed to pull all this off? How are we supposed to do this? What difference does any of this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question. Let me see if I can briefly answer it for us. I had a professor in college who made the statement, and it's always stuck with me. He said, there's a balance to everything in life. There's a balance to everything in life. And his encouragement to us was, he was a professor of psychology, his encouragement to us was to find that balance. Find balance. There's two things you can do to find balance in your life. One of them is the magic word. Y'all know what the magic word is? It's no. That's one of the magic words. If you want to find balance in your life, one of the things that you can do as a wife, as a mother, is to say no. Can we go to Six Flags this weekend? No. Mom, can I go over to my friend's house? Can you take me over there this afternoon? No. Uh, No, right? That's a wonderful word. It's a it's a freeing word. It's a life-giving word. Um, and again, it's not that you want to say no to everything. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities that, the, that might be presenting themselves to you, but it's knowing when to say no so that balance is struck. Saying no to the promotion. Saying no to debt so that you don't have to have the promotion, right? And so that you can find the balance 
and your wife so that you can love your husband, love your children, and manage your household. Another way that you can strike balance into your life is through times of renewal. Through times of renewal. You know, the Lord Jesus found himself just like every mom would find herself totally drained. Right, he'd get done with a day of preaching and ministry and healing and counseling and all the people that would come by him and that had needs, just like your kids are constantly there, work's constantly there, your husband's there. Everybody's asking, wanting, needing something from you. And these are rep- all represent drains on you, your energy, your time, just like the Lord Jesus had drains on his energy and his time. And at the end of his day, many times you read in the scriptures that he would finally just had to say, I'm closing the bedroom door. I'm done for the day. This is my time. And he would go off to a mountainside and he would be alone by himself. And there before the Father, he would be renewed. He would find solutions. He would be healed in his energy level and he would recover. And then the next day, he's ready to hit it again. Right? Times of renewal. Ladies, 10 minutes on your knees on a daily basis can do a tremendous amount for you in loving your husband and loving your children and managing your household. Spending time with the Lord on a daily basis is one of those ways that we're renewed. Another way that you can be renewed, and I shared with you about this morning an announcement, is through events like Walk to Emmaus. These are spiritual retreat weekends where you get to go off onto a mountainside. And you're not there to give. You are there to receive. And it will be a tremendous time of healing in your soul, in your life, a resetting, hitting the reset button, right? And some of us just need to hit the reset button. And the Lord will gives us opportunities like that, gives us times like that for us to be able to hit that reset button and to be able to renew. Um, I'd like to close out my time here this morning with a prayer for all of our moms and the wives, the ladies among us. So if you would, let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for um, the ladies in our midst. They give so much into our lives. They sacrifice so much. They deny themselves. Their energy levels are astounding. Lord, we pray that even in the course of this sermon, or this prayer, this time, this time of communion this week, that they would begin to feel that renewal happening in their own hearts and their own life. Lord, we need a pause before you. Also pray, Lord, that you would give them solid no and they can feel good about it some of the opportunities lord that are setting in front of them are good opportunities yet lord to retain that balance they just need to say no and so god we ask that you give them the wisdom about when to say that and the courage to say it god we ask as we gather around this table now to remember your broken body and your shed blood 
We're so thankful, Lord, that you loved us, that you came and you gave your life on our behalf. God, we ask that um, through your Holy Spirit that you would just speak and minister to our hearts this morning through this time of communion. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.